Let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for what has happened the last couple of days in our life. Thank you for providing so wonderfully. We thank you for that and so many other things as well. And now as we go to the word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us understand what we'll read and know what to do with it. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I've never traveled around with 12 people like Jesus did, but it must have been interesting. They must have had times of a lot of good humor. He was with them, and they were traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee, heading toward Jerusalem. They came to a small village and all of a sudden there was a hullabaloo of noise. Off in the distance were ten men. And they were crying out at the top of their voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, if you'd been Jesus, how would you have taken that? I mean, he was busy, he was, had places to go, people to see, and there they were interrupting him. Did he take it with irritation? The answer is no. Jesus was never irritated by being interrupted by somebody coming asking for help. Do you think it's any different today? I don't think so. He turned to them and he said, fellas, go show yourselves to the priests. Well, that was good news to them. You see, they were lepers. And just by smelling them, you could tell that's what they were. Furthermore, they were so far off, they had to be because they didn't dare enter into human society. It was considered so contagious. Well, this was good news. You're going to be healed. And the priests are going to tell you, you're clean. You can go back home. And who knows how long it had been since they'd been home. So off they go and en route, it happened. They're healed. And oh, did they jump for joy. And I think they went twice as fast after that, heading for the priest. One of them, however, stopped. He turned around and looked back. Off in the distance, there's Jesus. And he went back. And he was praising the Lord. And he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And he said, Master, Jesus, I'm healed. I'm clean. Thank you so much. Jesus looks down. And he looks around at the people standing there. And he said, Weren't there ten men that were healed? Where are the other nine? Is this one Samaritan the only one to come back and give praise to God? And then with a smile, he probably touched him on the shoulder and he said, you may get up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, There are two things to ask and look at. Number one, did Jesus, did he have trouble with people interrupting him? Pestering him, please heal me. No, he never took it that way, ever. 
But there was one thing that did make a difference to him. What was it? Did you notice in that story? This is in in Luke 17. What made the difference for Jesus? The thank you. Only one of the ten came back and said thank you. What about all the other nine? Couldn't they have said thank you too? I think there's a reason why that story has been put in Scripture. The people then just hadn't learned how to say thank you. Have we? I want to take you to the Old Testament now. The beginning of the last book of Psalms, that was the Psalter, that was the hymnal for the Jewish people back then. And the fifth section starts with Psalm 107, and it takes you all the way to Psalm 150. It doesn't say who wrote this. We may, we may not know. But it says something significant about this business of saying thank you. Verse 1, take a look at that. Psalm 107, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That idea of giving thanks. Who are you giving thanks to? Well, the name Lord takes me back to Genesis chapter 2. Have you ever read chapter 2 right after you read chapter 1? Both chapters are talking about creation. Chapter 1, the name of the one who is doing the creating is God. And that comes from the term Elohim in Hebrew, and it's focusing on the powerful creatorship of God. How did he create it? He stepped out like James Weldon Johnson's, I'm lonely, I'll make me a world. He said, let there be, and there was. How's that for having power? I've heard some people say, I wish I had that kind of power with my kids. (laughs) Chapter 2 Creation is happening, but not by speaking. How did the Lord make Adam? Up front, close and personal. I see him coming down and kneeling beside a riverbank. There's clay. He digs, scoops out clay, and he forms in exquisite detail a human being, probably the handsomest one you ever would have laid eyes on. And then when he's finished, he stepped back and looked with a big smile. And then he bent over and with a kiss, breathed life. And Adam became a human being. He did it by the personal touch. By the way, that was how Jesus liked to deal with lepers. He liked to touch them. That one in Luke 17, he just couldn't under the circumstances. Yahweh is the name Lord comes from. And it speaks of, it can be actually, if I understand it right, it's translatable as I and he. In other words, it speaks of God's desire to have a personal relationship with us. So much it's his very name. 
I and he. Let me ask you, do you have a relationship with the Lord? He'd love to have you have one. And all you have to do is simply ask him for it. And then when you begin to experience the differences that he makes, you can, with a smile from ear to ear, you can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Back to verse 1. It says he's good. Another way of translating that is pleasant. Have you ever thought of the God as being pleasant? He is. He's wonderfully nice to be around. I remember one time up at Camp Asable, I'd for some reason gotten down and I went down by Lake Schellenbarger and sat there and I said, Lord, you know what I'd like from you? I'd like a big divine hug. You know what happened? Almost on cue, the clouds parted and the sun shone on me with a warmth that just went all the way through me. And I looked up, I said, oh Lord, thank you. That's wonderful. He loves to give us divine hugs and that's just one way. Anyhow, he's so pleasant. His love endures forever. That comes from the word chesed, which means steadfast love. Has God always loved you? I don't know if you realize it, but yes, he's always loved you. And you know what? He always will. There's nothing you can ever do to make him not love you, and there's nothing you can ever do to make him love you less. His love for you is solid, steady, and sure. It's chesed. That's kind of like the New Testament word agape. It's not based on you, what you look like, how much value you represent. It's based on him, the one who's doing the loving. You can't do anything other than you can reject or you can accept. May I suggest something? That you accept his longing for a relationship with you. Life will have only begun when you do that. Now, it says, let, verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And I think about that. Years ago, the church used to have testimony services. Do you remember? Anybody remember those? You heard stories what God did in people's lives. It were incredible. Let them tell their story. And that's what this chapter has. Four stories. The first one begins with verse 4. I don't know how they got in the situation they were in. It doesn't say. But it says some wandered in desert wastelands. They found no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry, thirsty. Their lives ebbed away. What to do? It says then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them to a city they could develop as their home. And then it says, a reminder. And the fact that the reminder is here tells me, I need to learn this, and maybe I haven't yet. Verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord, 
for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. He satisfies the thirsty. He fills the hungry with good things. Let them say, thank you, Lord. When we first moved here from Oregon, we started looking around. We moved into an apartment, looked all over the place I took two dozen or more tours of homes, looking for one with my name on it, praying, Lord, is there a house for us? And then somebody called my wife and said, you better go take a look at this. It's not on the market yet. Came around the corner, took one look. That was it. To which we can say ever after, thank you, Lord, for providing a home for us. That's what he did for them. Have you ever been lost in the wilderness? We were, Teresa and I were on our way to northwestern Washington. We we're going to spend a couple of days with some friends. It was after dark, quite a ways, when we finally came to this intersection. Lights everywhere, road signs everywhere, and I didn't pay very much attention. Took a right and off we go. And I'm driving along, and after about 15, 18 minutes, it's awful dark. And I'm looking around, and I think, you know what? I'm lost. And I pull off the road, shut the car off, turned all the lights off, and got out and shut the door, and I looked around. I knew the Columbia River was off there somewhere, but I couldn't see it. We didn't even have starlight. I couldn't see anything. And I looked up and I said, Lord, I blew it. We're lost. What do we do? Remember verse 1, he is pleasant with a pleasant, happy voice. He said to me, turn around and go back. So I did. Back to that intersection. This time I stopped and I read the signs and I realized, John, you took a right when you should have kept going straight. So I took another right and went on straight. And within an hour, we were with our friends. I thought that was so wonderful that the Lord would reach down and say, John, here's what you need to do right now. Has God ever done that for you? You know, he certainly will if you need it. All you have to do is ask, all right? That's story one. Story two, it does tell us why they were in this predicament. Verse 10, some said in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands. They despised the plans of the Most High. So... He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then, what did they do? Verse 13, they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Tell me, what is utter darkness? darkness. Isn't that when you're living under the domain of evil and wickedness? That is so dark. 
There's a story in the Old Testament about a king named Manasseh. You read, I'll spare you the details, but you read all the terrible things that man did. As the king, he thought he could do it. Then what happened? That king from Babylon or somewhere over there came, captured him, put him in chains and took him back and put him in the dungeon. And it's dark and it's dark, utter darkness. And finally, his mind starts working. His heart starts thinking. And he finally clumsily gets on his knees and he looks up and he says, oh God, I've been a terrible king. I've been a terrible person. I'd like to do something better with my life. Would you deliver me from this mess I'm in? And it wasn't too long. He was called into an audience with the king who had put him in chains. The king looks at him. He says to the guard, he said, take the chains off him. And they took the chains off him. And then he said, put some decent clothes on him. And they did. And they said, Manasseh, you're going to be my vassal, but I'm going to send you back to your home. And you're going to be back on your throne. And let's hope you do better this time. And he went back, delivered by God. And he made a difference when he got back home. That's, to me, one of the most wonderfully encouraging stories in the whole Bible. If God would do that for Manasseh, there isn't anybody, no matter how bad they've been, there isn't anyone that the Lord would not deliver and restore. One more quick story connected with this account. I remember it was a Wednesday late morning. I was sitting over there somewhere, and it was during chapel. And they brought a fellow in who had been a hit man for the mob. I'll let you explain at home if you need to understand that. He was captured, he was convicted, and he was sent to prison for life. That was it. In time, he began to think. And one day, very clumsily, he got off his bunk and knelt down on the floor of that small cell he was inhabiting forever. And he looked up and he said, God, if you're there, I've been terrible. I've done terrible. I confess that I lay at your hands. I'd like to have something better come out of my life than what's been there so far. Please, would you take care of that? And he got off his knees and sat down on the edge of his bunk and he's sitting there thinking. And he's kind of planning, you know, if God does set me free, which he can, what am I going to do? I'm going to become an evangelist. There was suddenly rattling on the bars. He looked up. The turnkey was there. And I don't remember this fellow's name, but he said, get your stuff together. You're coming with me. And he did. And the turnkey took him to the warden's office. And the warden said, take the cuffs took the cuffs off. He said, uh, here, 
handed him some decent street clothes. He said, go into the bathroom, change your clothes. Get dressed decently. And so he did. Came back, handed him some money, and he went over to the door and opened it, and he said, you're free to go. And he left. Couldn't believe it. Within a half an hour, he was free from saying that prayer. God set him free. He became an evangelist. And he preached an evangelistic chapel that day he was here. God can deliver anyone in darkness, set them free into the world of his light, and they can spend the rest of their life saying, thank you, Lord. Let's go to the next one. It says, verse 15, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love, his wonderful deeds for mankind. He breaks down gates of bronze. He cuts through bars of iron. Number three, verse 19, or verse, verse 17, pardon me. Some became fools through their rebellious ways. Nobody is so foolish as they who will not listen. They became fools for their rebellious ways. They suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food. They drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. And then verse 21, the invitation Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And then verse 22 adds a thought you may have never had before. It says, let them sacrifice, thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Have you ever thought of bringing in a heavy duty offering with you here? to put in those baskets, to say, thank you, Lord, I really mean it. You put a smile on his heart. That's number three. Number four begins in verse 23. The merchant marine are out there on the sea. Remember, Jesus was with the disciples one night only. He wasn't aware of what was going on. What was he doing? He was in the back of the boat, snoring. He was sleeping out like a light. He was so tired and a storm blew in. I asked the uh, Joseph who was our tour guide over there. I said, Joseph, how long does it take for a storm to blow in? He said, oh, about 20 minutes. I said, 20 minutes? Where's it come from? He's over there in the west. I said, really? I thought it came down the Jordan River Valley. He said, nope. I said, well, how long would it take if you were in the middle of the lake? How long would it take you to get off? He said, well, a lot quicker if you had a motor. But if you have an oar and that's all, you're in for real trouble. They saw the storm. They were about heading, as we call it, for Davy Jones' locker. And they realized suddenly, Jesus. And they cried at him. Their voices were higher than the banshee of the wind. They said, Jesus, we're going to drown. Don't you care? And Jesus, huh? And he said, peace, quiet, be still. An instant quiet. And he looked at me and he said, where's your faith? 
I don't read in that place where those fellows said, Master, thank you. Have we learned to say thank you yet to a wonderful Lord? Well, anyhow, it says they reeled and staggered, verse 27. They were like drunks. They were at their wit's end. And then verse 28, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. And it says, verse 31, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. And then it says, let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Something to think about, though. These people who were called to give thanks to the Lord, what had they experienced first? Trouble, and they had called on the Lord And what did he do? He delivered them. When God has done something for you out of the love he has for you, that's when you can say thank you. If you've never called on him, though, if you've never needed him and looked to him for his help and deliverance, you really can't say thank you very meaningfully, can you? But if you've called on the great God of heaven, our Lord Jesus, our Savior, the one who died for us, and he acts in response to your appeal, with all your heart, you can tell him, thank you, thank you. You know, it finishes with speaking of God acting in a case of human need. Verses 33 and 34, he turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into the thirsty ground, fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell there. I'm not going to say this is the case, but it looks like it could be. In the western U.S., we are facing drought, right? Maybe you've been following some of the news items on that. You wonder, the, the biggest reservoirs in the country are almost dry. What are they going to do? Well, what did the other people in this psalm do? They called on the Lord for help. And then it says, verse 35, He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they founded a city where they could settle. Now, verse 39, it says they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. But he lifted the needy, verse 41, out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. And then verse 43, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Loving deeds, that's chesed again. This psalm is to teach us wisdom. Wisdom. What have you learned as you've cursed, as as you just skimmed the surface? You know, God knows where you're at. Doesn't he? 
There's a fellow, I, I heard this story, and I remember going online looking for his phone number, and I found it, and I called his office. He was in uh, somewhere in Washington State. His name is Kenneth Gallup. I don't know that he's still alive. This happened back when there were pay phones here, pay phones there, everywhere. Now we all have cell phones. Well, anyhow, he was traveling, and he'd gotten, he was a televangelist, had a big bookstore, and he had just gotten himself almost burned out, as we say. Yeah, they were traveling on U.S. or on Interstate 75, just north of Toledo. And the kids started fussing, Dad, we're hungry. Can we get something to eat? So he pulled off the interstate, pulled up in front of a restaurant, got out, and he turned to his wife and says, Barb, why don't you take the kids in and get something ordered? I got to walk. I got to get the kinks out of my legs, and then I'll rejoin you later. Okay? Fine. So she took them in, and he walks, and he felt like, you ever felt like your life is futile? Not, well, anyhow, I found his office number and I called him and I, I told him about what I'd heard. I said, did this actually happen? And the secretary said, it certainly did, sir. He wrote it up in one of his books. I said, well, okay. So he's walking up the street, never been there before in his life. And he hears the phone start ringing. And he's, where on earth? Over on the side of a gas station is this payphone that keeps ringing and ringing. And he thinks, why doesn't that gas station guy answer his phone? And a little voice says, why don't you answer his phone? And he thought, oh, I can do that. Same one, I picked up the phone, hello. I have a long distance person to person call for Reverend Kenneth Gaub. You know, they love calling pastors reverends. And they have for pastors for Kenneth Gaub. Is he there? And he looks at it. He said, you got to be kidding. Sir, I'm not kidding. I have a real phone call. Is he there? And in the background, he hears this voice say, that's him, operator. I'd recognize his voice anywhere. And she says, are you Pastor Gaub? He said, yes, I am. Go ahead, please. And a lady, her name was Hattie from Pennsylvania. She's on the phone. She said, Pastor Gaub. He said, yes, Hattie from Pennsylvania. How can I help you? And she said, I'm at the point I want to take my own life. I don't know what to do. And I prayed. And the thought came, you know, if you could talk to Pastor Gaub, he can help you. And so I said, but I don't know how to get a hold of him. And, and some numbers came to mind and I wrote them down and I thought, that's got to be his office number. Are you in your office, Pastor? And he says, no, but that's okay, Hattie from Pennsylvania. How can I help you? And she told him about wanting to take her life, but not wanting to take her life. And he led her to Jesus right on the spot. And she said, oh, thank you, Pastor. I have life now. Thank you. And when he hung up, he started not just walking. He was bouncing back to the restaurant. And he walked in, 
And his wife looked up and with exuberance he hadn't felt in a long time, he said, Barb, guess what? God knows where I'm at. And he doesn't just know where you're at. You know what else he knows? All the phone numbers along the way, including the the cell phone sitting right next to you. He knows where you're at. He knows if you're in despair, if you're struggling. He knows if you need help. Call on him and he will deliver you. And then don't forget the most important part. And what is that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You have delivered me. I praise you. And you can tell the rest of the world your story. You remember what traffic was like in the roads a week ago? A week ago yesterday, Teresa and I were coming back from Ben Harbor on US 31. And man, the, the snow, ice, something like that. I was driving our pickup and I didn't have any weight in the back and that's not a good thing with a light pickup. Well, you know, in the outside southbound lane, there are two tracks, two ruts, where there's, you know, that's where you're supposed to drive. And then adjoining lane, there are two more. And then on the northbound, you have the same thing. And I'm driving it, all of a sudden, it got off and that stuff caught the wheel and started spinning the wheel, the truck. I corrected, but I overcorrected it, and all of a sudden we are spinning out, and I'm going broadside to the median, and I see that the snow is starting to fly, and I said, we're going to roll, we're going to roll. I didn't have time to think of, say anything, I, I think I just hung onto the wheel. In we went, and when the truck came to a stop, snow blowing all over the place. And I sat there and I think I looked at Teresa I said, we didn't roll. And she looked at me and said, we didn't roll. And she said, you know, I got my phone and it's charged. I said, please use it. <laughs> so she played the call to Rick downtown who has that wrecker there in the corner. And he said, I'll be there in about an hour. I've got to help somebody else get out. Well, about five minutes later, he calls, guess what? He got himself out. I'll be there a lot quicker, maybe 10 minutes, sure enough. Now, there's some miracles. One, the truck didn't roll. Number two, there was nobody in a joining lane that I could have smacked into. Nobody was there. I didn't hit anybody. Nobody was injured. And when I got the truck, when Rick got the truck out, it was running fine, no damage. But when he hooked us up and ready, got ready to pull us out, I had been watching the oncoming traffic in the southbound lanes, and I saw cars and trucks, both lanes full of traffic. And I said, what's going to happen now? And when he started to pull us out, I looked. There wasn't a car, there wasn't a truck anywhere in sight. Who stopped the traffic? God did. Because we needed it. He pulled us out and we even got to the store to buy what we needed before sundown. And you know what? I've got to tell you this. I've been driving more slowly since. (laughs) 
Anyway, it says, let them thank the Lord. As you've been sitting here, you may have thought of something in your life God did for you when you asked, and you never thought to say thank you. Why not tell him thank you right now?